gold, copper, Bitcoin, Midas gold, Rudy's face melting, Mexican generals getting drug trafficking charges dismissed by AG Barr, all sorts of things going on. Truly a bizarro world. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is the Thanksgiving edition of Bizarro World. Nick, episode 95. How are you, sir? Gobble, gobble, Gerardo. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm doing good. How's it going? I am well. I am thankful. Um, our, our, our Digest Publishing venture is, is off to a ripping and roaring start and, and just, you know, picking up more momentum. I am excited about that. I am excited about copper hitting a two-year high. Um, let's get right into it. Let's talk gold. You know, gold pulled back a bit and, and, and we've said, I've said, we've said, um, for years that it, 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 it was going to have to rise alongside the U S indices, Bitcoin, and, um, and eventually a higher U S dollar. And, you know, really we haven't had a higher U S dollar. What we have had is Bitcoin just moving, right? A lot of speculative capital obviously is going over to that sector. Do you think that's affected the, the, the gold price? You would expect that with the dollar being as weak as it has been, that gold would be a tad bit higher. Though, again, not complaining. 1873, we have lots of companies that are going to do very well if gold never goes up another dollar. I mean, you know, if I'm talking, it's not because I have an answer right now. It's just because I'm talking through it and kicking ideas around. I think I sent uh, you and a colleague yesterday an email that said something to the effect of no one knows what the fuck's going on right now. Because like you say, um, uh, the dollar hasn't gone back up to like that 94 level. It's sort of stayed between 92 and 93. Now, I guess it's uh, relative, relatively strong. Um, right. And the other thing that's happened is, is rates have been rising very fast. If you look at the U.S. 10 year, which I was writing about this week. And so, you know, um, it's interesting how the correlations go. I guess correlations is what I would talk about. Something I was thinking about yesterday. It's like, you know, for a while we were talking about that dollar gold correlation, dollar gold correlation, dollar gold correlation. And then all of a sudden it's like seemingly out of nowhere, these rates start to, to rise and are up very fast. And then it's the rates that matter more than the dollar itself. And so that's what I mean by uh, sort of no one knows what's going on. It's uh, And we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks, certainly since the, um, you know, volatility before the election and then headed into the election and the, the uncertainty that followed it is the market is trying to figure out what's going on, right? We've still got a president who has um said he won the election who hasn't formally conceded um you know we don't know how big the <laughs> stimulus is gonna uh be we've got a balance sheet in europe uh central bank that's growing very fast and so there's just a lot of things at play and uh, it's also holiday season i mean i could just keep going right it's thanksgiving in the u.s and then it's going to be um chris mahan's aquanica worldwide worldwide right and so people are just i think um, tired of 2020, want to get through this holiday season and then uh, want to get back to it. And I think 2020 is going to be good. I think that uh, the correction in gold was healthy. I think that even if it tests that that next uh, lower bound of support at the 1800 level, that that's still a very strong gold price where deals can get done and where companies generate cash. And uh, to Bitcoin, um, you know, I'm not sure that Bitcoin is, you know, back to two Thanksgivings ago mm. when everybody was talking about Bitcoin, when, every, when you, we actually could have big gatherings for, um, uh, 
uh, holidays and things like that pre-pandemic. And it's it's sort of disconnected a bit from the dollar and gold, as you say. It's um, And the, uh, here come, and you were writing about this, Gerardo, so you can talk about it. Here come the $100,000 <laughs> forecasts again. Right? The experts and, are back. You know, They're back. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is going to unseat institutions, and this is the path to true financial freedom. And, you know, I agree with some of that, but um, I think gold still has a firm place, and I don't think, you know, uh, a gold correction means the end of a gold bull market by any means. I agree with all of that. We are starting to get drill results from companies that we have been expecting results from. Um, still nothing from New Placer Dome Gold or Nevada Sunrise as it relates to Kinsley. Um, Kinsley Mountain, of course, a property that has over 50 holes or at least 50 holes drilled into it now. But we did receive news again from Chicana. I mean, they had some absolutely spectacular results. And, you know, (laughs) the, the, the group that's out there program shorting it 500 shares at a time has done a remarkably effective job of suppressing the price. And so I say that, um, to give people their money's worth on this podcast, that's your free advice for the week. You know, Chicana Copper is 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 finding. You know, they intersected 10.7 meters of 24.99 grams per ton gold equivalent. And let me break that down for you people. If if, if you don't like the gold equivalent line, there, it's a uh, 10.7 meters of 7.25 grams per ton gold, 10.2 percent copper, and 163.5 grams per ton silver. Silver. From 32.4 meters, so it's high grade and it's shallow. Um, and despite that, you know, the stock's down for the week. So it's an opportunity. I, I, I can tell you I own hundreds of thousands of shares now. I've doubled my position in the past week and a half, uh, my personal position. And so it's it's these prices aren't sustainable, especially in the context of copper hitting a two-year high currently trading at 328 a pound. Um, supply disruptions are starting to hit the, um, I, I think the expectation of more stimulus eventually, right? Whether it's in February here in the U S or beforehand, we know that Europe of course is, is now talking about the biggest bazooka. And you know, it's, it's funny. This is the language that the ECB has used for the past several years. You know, we, we, we potentially have a big bazooka and then it was a bigger bazooka. And, and, you know, now the language is the biggest bazooka. And so December should be an interesting month to say the least in the currency markets. And I think, um, you know, that has the potential for some real consequential implications in the gold space. And, 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 and we'll see, we'll see if the U S follows. We'll talk, we talked about this a bit last week. Um, so anyhow, drill results are starting to come in thoughts on Chicana copper and, and, and the program short out there. Gosh, those, that's a heck of a hole that intercept you just went through there. Um, high grade, uh, copper and gold from, uh, you know, very shallow depths. And so I, I think you just got to click on the press release and take a look at a couple of maps. One is the map of the, the breccia pipes that they're drilling and uh, are about to drill. Um, you know, they're also highly prospective. There's seven holes, I believe it is, into Juan Karama that's, um, that aren't out yet. And that's also highly prospective, as is Paloma West. And you'll be able to see that how these uh, breccia pipes dot the landscape on the press release on the image in the press release and um, uh, beneath that there's an image uh, an actual aerial image a drone image of uh, one of the breccia pipes and you can sort of see the scale uh, as it's uh, sort of etched into the the side of the mountain and um, there's just worth 
reiterating that there's uh, a couple of dozen of those pipes, I believe it is, and they haven't uh, clearly all been drill tested. And there's a lot of meters yet to drill. And, um, you know, those results are, I guess I can start to say this at this point, Gerardo, I've seen a lot of results, I guess at this point, you know, those are some of the better results I've seen as far as exploration drilling is concerned. And so I was in the market buying Chicana as well. And, uh, you know, you and I are on the same wavelength. One of the things that crossed this mind this morning was where the fuck are those Kinsley results? So, uh, yeah, they're taking their time. They are taking their time. Um, yeah, we're just going to have to wait. I guess it is what it is, right? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I have opinions, but I'll keep them to myself for the time being. Um, let's talk Mawson Gold, which, again, if you like gold and you like high grade and you like multiple stable jurisdictions, um, I think Mawson Gold presents a very, very, very interesting opportunity right now. Um, they just made a new discovery in Finland. They have a new discovery, actually multiple discoveries in Australia. It would not surprise me if Michael Hudson decided to spin out the Australian assets come 2021, as I don't believe the market is giving the company any kind of credit for, you know, I mean, the bottom line is they've hit high grade in the first three holes that they've drilled over there over two projects, um, three holes into each one of those two projects. And so multiple rigs turning in multiple jurisdictions, cashed up, aggressively exploring, anchored by a, a, a robust resource and and cobalt credits in Finland, as well as gold, a lot to like. So Moss and Gold is one that I encourage everybody to do some due diligence on. Yeah, I agree with all that. Some of the standalone companies that are um, in the Victorian gold fields, and we've seen a couple of those deals in the past couple of weeks, those comparables are getting, um, you know, valuations that are, are equal to, you know, what Mawson's getting. And that's not even, um, you know, Mawson's got a flagship asset in Finland. So, you know, I hadn't thought about spinning out the Australian assets, but that's actually a good idea. I've been strongly advocating for that since the beginning <laughs> behind the scenes to Mr. Hudson. And, you know, it, it, it's something that the company has publicly said. Um, they, I, I think the official line was they're willing to consider all options to maximize shareholder value is, is what was said. And so, no, I, I, I think a spin out makes perfect sense in light of the fact that, you know, they're clearly on, um, to a new discovery out there. And, and, you know, it's the first time that that ground has been tested by modern exploration methods in, in, in over a century. So exciting stuff out of Australia and out of Moss and gold. Uh, we got to talk uh, vaccines again. It seems like, you know, last week we talked about the one that, that, that is said to be 90% effective. We now have a second vaccine that is said to be up to 95% effective this a, a a moderna vaccine and so you know it comes at a time frankly where again whether you agree or disagree with the lockdowns and the approach and you know the scattered approach of of opening closing opening closing and you know seemingly no coherent policy um cases are on the rise that's that's that that's a very real thing hospitalizations are on the rise it isn't just because they're testing more um, no, more, more people are getting sick. And so how are things in Washington state, Nick? I know that you and I spoke here recently where they shut down, um, the school briefly, and I believe it was reopened. Is that, is that correct? 
Yeah, school reopened. They were in for the past week. Um, starting, well, you'll listen to this podcast on a Monday. So um, let me look at a calendar because I rarely know what day it is anyway. Um, starting this week, uh, which was, I guess, the night of the 17th. So Tuesday the 17th headed into Wednesday the 18th of November. Um, overnight, the new restrictions went into into force, which is... Uh, basically back into lockdown. I don't know all, all the restrictions off the top of my head, but it's certainly no uh, indoor gyms, no indoor salons, no indoor uh, dining. And so those are three big things right back into lockdown, essentially. And yeah, cases are at uh, daily records. Hospitalization, hospitalizations are back on the uptick in the market. And and frankly, everyone, I think, is ready for this vaccine, right? People want, are ready to put this behind us. So, you know, it's time to have a birthday party for COVID, essentially. Um, you know, it, it's one year anniversary of, of entering Good the country is here, in the next, is, is here in the next couple of weeks, right? And so... Um, I haven't had a proper anyway. lap dance in eight months. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. At least I'm without a Lysol wipe. Um, and so... You know, and the market likes this juice, right? I mean, you know, the 90% efficacy juice, the market from Pfizer a couple of weeks ago. And then here comes Moderna with 95%. And I think I saw somebody saying on Twitter, you know, can I get 96? Can I get 97? <laughs> and then it just keeps juicing the market higher. Um, and we can go back to talking about the market. You know, I know stocks are, are down in the in the past couple of uh, days, but they're still at record highs and, and, and went higher on the back of this vaccine. And so... Um, yeah, but it's going to be a it's going to be a it's going to be a cold winter and we're still going to have to deal with the um, effects of this vaccine insofar as it relates to, um, you know, the lost jobs as a result of the, the shutdowns and the closure of, of businesses as a result of that. And so I think the economy still has a lot of uh, reckoning to do. But I also think that. Um, it's trying to to to, to price in a, at least a short term recovery from this vaccine, and so um, I hope this vaccine happens sooner than later. I agree. I agree. Um, let's talk the most interesting news release, at least to my eye, and that's one. And and of course, you all will listen to this on Monday, but today is Friday when we're recording this, and there was news this morning that Midas Gold uh, published and the headline reads Paulson and company sends letter to Midas Gold employees. Now, for those of you not familiar, John Paulson of big short fame is a 44.1% owner of outstanding shares of Midas Gold, him and his group. And so the very short version is the, the, the group sent off a letter um, to Midas Gold employees, and uh, I'll read a small part of it. It says, given the many milestones we have hit this year, all due to the extraordinary effort you have put in on the ground in Idaho, we believe now is the appropriate time to start planning the next phase of the company as it evolves from seeking permits to eventually taking the Stibnite Gold project into production. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Um, the letter goes on to say, we believe that it is time for Midas to redomicile from Canada to the U.S. 
And then it says, secondly, we believe we must continue to position ourselves as a critical minerals company and not just as a gold producer, which I agree with. And it's something that publicly you and I, along with Stephen Quinn, CEO, have said for years. Third, third, and this was the, 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 the most interesting part of the letter. It says, for us to credibly achieve these goals, we think it is imperative that the board show leadership at the top by refreshing itself with more U.S. and specifically Idaho-based directors and by adding people with skills that better align with the future direction of the company. Um, the market clearly, clearly, the stock is up 14, 14% on good volume, clearly liked um, the support on behalf of the Paulson Group. I, I, I think that a lot of the market... Um, was waiting for a sign that he would continue to be involved past a permitting decision. And I think this is a green light um, for that. I think it clearly shows a desire um, for the Paulson Group to develop this project. And we know it has, you know, the firepower, the capital um, and the network uh, to put together a, a financing package that could get this built, which bodes well in the event of a takeout offer by a company like, say, Barrett, which would be a very good fit. So the company liked that aspect of it. Um, the request for the, the 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 leadership at the top to refresh itself was very interesting. I'd love to hear your take on that. I've never been asked to refresh myself. <laughs> I think it was. So the way that noun was used, it was speaking of the, the board as an entity and not as an individual. And so... Um, I, 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 maybe the board didn't collectively, it seems like, you know, they were asked privately to, to refresh <laughs> themselves collectively as an entity and that didn't happen. And now they're being, um, let's use the term, um, uh, guided to do so in public by the, the, the firm that owns, like you say, 44% of the shares. And so, um, I'd be interested to hear, um, you know, management's take on that, and I'm sure we'll get to in due course. But um, you haven't mentioned Detour Gold yet, and, you know, Paulson did a, a good job with that, ultimately getting it taken out by Kirkland Lake, right? And so um, this isn't a first go-round for a board refresh, as it's being called. And um, look, it's, um, and Stephen will say this, it's 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 Paulson's deal um, on, a, on an outstanding and a fully diluted basis, right? And so... Um, he's already got Marcelo Kim as chairman of the board who, you know, is from Paulson and co. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I welcome this and, and for the reasons that you, um, outlined, I think that we're heading into a, a positive record of decision in, in early 2021. And then, um, it's a very large project. It requires significant amount of, of CapEx and, um, in order for, uh, the next, let's call it 12 or 18 months to go as well as possible for shareholders, you need um, someone with uh, significant skin in the game to be, um, you know, leading the way, let's call it, as far as the, the capital markets piece of it is concerned. And as you also pointed out, if you can have someone doing that, who is a 44% shareholder and who also can come up with some sort of financing package that isn't going to be reliant on um, 
um, or let's say isn't going to affect some sort of buyout offer, right? Because it's a, it's a, the financing is a weakness, then I think that's beneficial for, for shareholders. And so, um, look, I'm ready to get this permit and it's been seven years. I think I've been involved with this company. And so, um, if it could do what detour did, then I'm all for it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can we pivot really briefly? And it's not going to be brief. So I take that back and put our tinfoil hats on and, um, talk, you know, conspiracy theories a bit and, um, things that are interesting to me. Would you, would you allow for that, Mr. Hodge? Sure. So did you see the press conference this week? And I know you did (laughs) with Mr. Rudy Giuliani, where his face and his head was melting off. Yeah. So it's clear that the administration doesn't plan on conceding. Um, it's getting more deranged by the day, even by some people on the right, right? We expect the left to say what the left says. Um, but even some people on the right, even Mitt Romney has now come out and said, you are, you, Mr. President, are threatening our democracy and and and, and the institution and the tradition um, by refusing to concede. Um, so a, a couple of directions that I want to take this. Um, the first, as it relates to Joe Biden and Mr. Trudeau and everybody in Europe and everywhere else around the world, apparently, um, there's this great conspiracy theory out there that COVID is just a way for governments around the world to take control of a number of things, which is what government always tries to do, right? It tries to to consolidate power. Um, I I don't believe that politicians are that smart to coordinate you know, a global um, takeover of, of what the future may look like politically. However, I must say, it is really strange to me to hear everybody have the same talking point of the Great Reset. And, you know, I started hearing this weeks and months ago, four, four and a half weeks ago, and I thought, okay, well, eh, somebody said it. And then somebody in another country said it. And now I'm hearing this as if this is just the gospel, right? So do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, do you, do you, can both things be true? Can, can, can it be true that, you know, governments around the world are using the pandemic for their own, you know, power grab and, 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 and the response for its own power grab and, and, and kind of the way that 9-11 was used to kind of strip us U.S. citizens of, of, of so much of our privacy and our individual rights and freedoms, right? I mean, it was true that 9-11 happened. It was also true that it was used um, for political purposes to kick shit up, wars all over the place, and and to, to, to take a ton of rights from us. But do you believe there is a coordinated effort for this great reset? Well, you never let a good crisis go to waste if you're uh, <laughs> in the government, right? And so um, I'm not sure I understand the... The question entirely, but this great reset, you know, and and I'm going to talk about it in the context of Justin Trudeau, because yep. that's where I saw it this week was, you know, he's talking about the coronavirus is the opportunity for a great, you know, what you say, a great reset, but it's just a fourth turning, Gerardo. And so, um, you know, all and we've been talking about this for six months, you know, the coronavirus has ushered in and expedited, I've written that probably 10 times, some things that needed to happen from um, you know, companies going bankrupt that were on the precipice to uh, the pricking of uh, equity bubble that we were in, although we've now recovered to, to those highs and beyond. 
um, to fomenting. Uh, let's not forget about the protests we had mm-hmm. uh, over the summer, right, with the uh, response to police killings. Um, and then, um, well, the results of this election itself as a referendum on Trump's response to the to the COVID pandemic. And so um, all the way to, um, gosh, I don't have to recite them all, you know, the way we're, we're now working at home, for example, um, just the changes that the, the virus has set into motion. I think you can categorize them as a great reset. I don't necessarily know that it's government led or it's conspiratorial. I just think that um, given the generational turning that's at hand and some of the events that were already in motion as it relates to um, uh, debt and central banking and and oligopoly and um, uh, corporations not paying taxes, uh, all the way to the the uh, stripping of your rights, which you mentioned, it was time for the needle to start going the other way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, is it a great reset? It's going to be over the next five to 10 years. And um, did the coronavirus have a big hand in, in furthering that along? Absolutely. Um, are the governments going to try to use it to their advantage? They always do. Is it a conspiracy? Um, I don't think so. Let me give you the Martin Armstrong take, right? Because I think he is he has been one of the more vocal people out there about this conspiracy. And and, and he does actually, whether you believe him or not, um, he does a good job of laying out his case in very specific ways that 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 may make the question a little bit more uh more 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 nuanced, right? It says, he says the Great Reset will achieve equality by reducing the wealth and employment of the middle class while the super rich will become the overlords of this new normal. They are deliberately destroying the economy to create economic chaos for they believe they can rebuild it green and end the disparity of income, which is communism 3.0. He goes on to say that there is a great risk that they will seize all assets and you will own nothing precisely as the World Economic Forum has been advocating. Um, and then he goes out um, to, to say they've used this fake pandemic to terrorize people in order to collapse the economy. And he goes on, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a link up to it. And so again, whether you agree or disagree, Martin Armstrong is an incredibly educated man, um, a very well-connected man, um, that sounds pretty out there until again, I start paying attention a little bit more and I start, and I'm not giving this credibility. I'm just saying it is interesting to me um, that everybody has the same language around, you know, this pandemic and our response to it and that everybody, including the Biden administration now is starting to, to, to adopt that language. It'll be interesting to watch here over the next several months. So that's tinfoil hat issue number one. The second one is um, Trump isn't going to concede. And the reasons why um, are always interesting to me, the conspiracy theories around that. Did you see the Edward Norton, who is just a great actor? Did you see the thread, his, his tweets today on his theory on why President Trump is taking this approach, which by the way, he's one in 29 in courts so far. Um, and again, the press conference this week with Mr. Giuliani was, 
I mean, come on. For an administration, it was nothing short of embarrassing me as an American citizen, right? It was it was, it was a bit sad um, to see that that the leader leader of the free world's personal attorney is up there just literally melting away and sounding crazy, right? But did you see the Edward Norton thread? Um, I just pulled it up. I No, I haven't. So go on and explain it. Let me hear what he All said. All right. I'm, I'm going to go through it. And, and it, it was so well laid out that I said, well, let, 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 let me read the whole thing. Let me, let me do it. I'm going to take three or four minutes of your time. So for those of you that don't want to listen to this, go ahead and skip three or four minutes and, and you know, save yourself the trouble. So Edward Norton starts by saying, I'm no political pundit, but I grew up with a dad who was a federal prosecutor and he taught me a lot. I've also sat a fair amount of poker with serious players, and I'll say this. I do not think Trump is trying to make his base happy or laying the groundwork for his own network. He goes on to say, or that chaos is what he loves. The core of it is that he knows he's in deep, multidimensional legal jeopardy, and this defines his every action. We're seeing one, a tactical delay of the transition to buy time for cover-up and evidence suppression. Above all, a desperate endgame, which is to create enough chaos and anxiety about peaceful transfer of power and fear of ir irreparable damage to the system that he can cut a Nixon-style deal in exchange for finally conceding. But he doesn't have the cards. His bluff after the flop has been called in court. His turn card bluff will be an escalation, and his river card bluff could be really ugly. But they have to be called. We cannot let this mobster bully the USA into a deal to save his ass by threatening our democracy. That is his play. But he's got junk in his hand, so call him. And then this is where it gets, you know, funny. I will allow that he's also a whiny, sulky, petulant, grinchy, vindictive, little 10-ply, super soft bitch who no doubt is just throwing a wicked pout fest and trying to give a tiny hand middle finger to the whole country for pure spite without a single thought for the dead and dying. But his contemptible, treasonous, seditious assault on the stability of our political compact isn't about 2024, personal enrichment, or anything else other than trying to use chaos and threat to the foundation of the system as leverage to trade for a safe exit. Call his bluff. Fairly, faith in the strength of our sacred institutions and founding principles is severely stretched, but they will hold. They will. He's leaving gracelessly and in infamy. But if we trade for it, we give him some brokered settlement. We'll be vulnerable to his return. We can't flinch. I thought that was an interesting, interesting take, and it made sense the more I read it. It's all smoke and mirrors and cheap hair dye. <laughs> Speaking of smoke and mirrors... Did you see, oh, General Sinfuegos? I, I talked about this a month and a half ago on the podcast. I've been tweeting about it because this uh, Mexican general was arrested. He was a former defense minister for Mexico um, who was arrested on drug trafficking charges last month here in the U.S. And when it when it happened, I tweeted, I tweeted, well, that's really interesting. Um, Mexican general is comfortable enough not to worry about being indicted and sent to the U.S., He's comfortable leaving Mexico and coming and living in America. Um, that 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 to me was clear as all day. That's because the war on drugs is 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 a myth, right? We know, I know. Um, when I and I've talked about this on this podcast in Mexico, you know who to talk to about certain things. You know, you know which police departments, which generals, which police chiefs um, are 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 on the take, and you know which ones work for which groups. 
this isn't a secret. This isn't anything that, you know, I'm not spilling the beans on some, you know, crazy, um, quietly kept secret about corruption in Mexico. This is the way that it works. And, you know, another secret is that the DEA has been in Mexico for years on end, helping with this fake war on drugs, making sure it's their bad guys that get power when it's convenient for them. So when this general was arrested over a month ago, I said, this isn't going to hold much like when they went and tried to and, and arrest El Chapo's kid um, a couple of years ago. I said, well, <laughs> I was headed to a movie and I told my wife, by the time this movie's done, he'll be free. And sure enough, we got out of the movie and he was free. Right. It's just knowing how it works. But the guy was arrested. And um, sure enough, his attorney said, well, look, OK, I'm arrested. I'll have my day in court. I am more than happy to start naming names and letting everyone know. Um <laughs> How, how these charges came to be and how those charges came to be is with the U.S. Now, here's my speculation. The U.S. greenlit a certain cartel to have security clearances from the top defense ministers in the country to allow them to run as much drugs as they wanted to run to the U.S. Now, you could just look at that and, and, and on the surface say, well, who cares? It's Mexico. It's drug dealers. But the bottom line is every day. On both sides of the border, people are dying from shootouts. People are dying from heroin. People are dying, you know, from overdoses. Very serious consequential results that is being allowed and facilitated by both Mexican and American governments. General Barr, the attorney general of this country, stepped in and said, cooperation with the Mexican government is essential for upholding our national security. And those bilateral ties must be built on common respect for our own rule of law and due process. And he intervened and got all charges dropped. How embarrassing for us as Americans. I'm going to talk as an American right now. Everybody knows I'm, I'm of, of, of Mexican ethnicity. I'm an American citizen. I have dual citizenship. As an American, how embarrassing is it for our country to be this just uncoordinated to go pick this guy up and then have to have the attorney general come in and say that he dropped the charges because of sensitive and important foreign policy considerations. Huh. 30 years, 40 years of a failed war on drugs, cops kicking people's doors down, girlfriends sent to prison for years on end because a boyfriend gave him a bag to go hop on a bus and go sell somewhere else or, or transport. Um, all the guns that, that, that have flooded Mexico where, you know, I've had you know, friends and, and, and acquaintances killed in, 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 in the stuff that's going on down there. And, and this is what it comes to. The U.S. makes an arrest and the attorney general of America steps in and says, no, 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 no. That corruption is okay. We greenlit that, but we can't tell anybody. Drop the charges. And they did. And he's free and he's good to go now. Yeah. Meanwhile, South Dakota is legalizing, you know, recreational marijuana, right? And so... Um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Did you read on, uh, I, I'm, I'm the bear of fun news today. Uh, Pope John Paul and, um, the saint that wasn't very saintly. I, I did. And I, yeah, I'd be happy to discuss it if you'd like. I would love to discuss it. It turns out that, you know, St. Paul, St. <laughs> John Paul here, um, was covering up for child rapist. Shuffling them around. Um, Surprise. Of course that. I would love your take on this if, if you want to provide some more context. 
I, I mean, I mean, we knew for a while about this McCarrick character, right? And so um, it's no secret what's been going on in the Catholic Church for decades. They've won uh, Oscar or they've made Oscar winning films about it, right? And so no shit. Um, the gentleman who was in charge of the entire entire organization uh, for a large swath of that going down. You remember how long that guy was, uh, let's call it in power, right? I mean, my grandfather had a picture of John Paul II in his um, office uh, when I was little. And, and, and he was pope for a long time until Benedict. Certainly when I was young, he was the pope. So he had a, he had a long run there and presided over uh, the church and therefore presided over the church's sexual abuse scandal for a long time. And um, what happened is they ended up uh, immediately making him a, a saint, or, or at least in church terms, it's like, <laughs> geologic, it's like geologic time, right? At least in church terms, they made him a saint quite fast. And um, I get to use my Italian here because in the in the New York Times article, they were talking about how when uh, Pope John Paul died, there was Italians flooding St. Peter's Square chanting Santo Subito, right? Mm. Saint immediately, they were saying. And um, now it turns out, just flash forward, everything that we know is true is true because we're not fucking idiots. And, uh, you, you know, the guy knew about McCarrick. John Paul knew about McCarrick. And he was, you know, he was leading bureaucracy that was shuffling them around and covering it up, which, of course, they were doing. Right. And so um, now you have a group formally calling for his um, uh, sainthood to be revoked. Right. And um, it's just... Uh, you know, I mean, for 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 me, it's of course, you know, but it's good to see it, I guess, at least make the uh, formal uh, global diaspora. Right. And now it's um, some action is actually being taken because they're saying the the abuse victims, um, you know, deserve to have this guy not be a saint. Right. Deserve not to have the church celebrate this guy. And so. Um, anyway, it's just all interesting to me, the, the religious aspect of it. And if you want a little personal note, I mean, uh, I've probably talked about it on this podcast before I was raised Catholic. I was an altar boy till I was 16 years old. You know, nothing nefarious ever happened to me as, as far as, you know, sexual things were concerned. None of that was going down in the parish that I was involved at. Um, but uh, you know, once you, you know, start to gain education and learn things and learn about mm-hmm. other religions and philosophies and you start to see the the hypocrisy of it all. Right. And so, you know, and, and then I guess the other thing I that I struggle with is, you know, I have I'm sending my kids to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you almost feel a little hypocritical in that respect. But I think you really have to separate the the religious component of it from the from the educational, you know, Franciscan tradition of education component of it. And um you know, you can be involved in the education without having to go through the sacraments and be involved in the parish. And we were careful to select a Catholic school that didn't make the sacraments a part of the educational curriculum. If you want to do the sacraments, you have to put in uh, extra time to do that on the side at the school. Right? So anyway, I got off on a little bit of a tangent there. But um, yeah, the Catholic Church is an interesting institution, let's say, and, and is definitely hypocritical as it comes to the, the Christ-like component of it. Let's say you see the Boy Scouts have until the summer um, next summer to settle 95,000 sex abuse claims against the Boy Scouts of America or in its ongoing bankruptcy case or or it won't have any mm-hmm. cash to continue operating as an entity. You mentioned institutions and 
95,000. And, uh, you know, these are just the people that filed, right? We, we, we know that uh, a, a lot of people just aren't comfortable, you know, publicly admitting, admitting to, to, to being assaulted or molested or raped or whatever the case may be. Um, that's a lot of claims, man. That's a lot of claims. Yeah, I don't know much about the Boy Scouts. I was never a Boy Scout. The only thing I, I guess I could add there is I know a couple of guys who are um, involved at like the, um, at least like the state board level for Boy Scouts. And it's like, a, and they're good guys, right? They're not on the, the underside of this, this Boy Scout coin. They're now, you know, trying to clean up this mess and get this lawsuit behind them. And uh, just the one conversation I had with them about it was, uh, it's just a logistical uh, nightmare, right? Because some of these cases are from decades and decades, just like the church, right? Decades and decades ago. And like you were saying, you know, it's about who's come forward and this and that. And they're really trying to, uh, as you could imagine, move forward from this um, uh, scandal because, you, you know, it, enrollment is down, etc. And so, uh, yeah, dark shadow when you when you allow that stuff and when you look the other way. And so, um yeah, in the context of a reset, right? And uh, I think you have to talk about, you know, uh, no tolerance for that stuff going forward, right? Whether in a religious institution like Catholicism or in a, um, uh, a quasi-non-denominational institution, institution like, uh, like Boy Scouts. How complicit are we? And I'm just talking you and I right now, Nick, as, as American citizens right now, I'm going to pivot and go back to politics in allowing the Trump administration um, the ability to make a mockery of an election because I was all ears for evidence of fraud. You know, I wanted to see, like I said, if you don't want every vote to count, every legally casted vote to count, you know, I think you're an asshole, right? This is America. It's an attempt at democracy. We're, we're a republic, but it's an attempt that's provided uh, exceptional opportunities for myself and my family and, and and a lot of people right and so how complicit are we are are we too complacent maybe is a better word um in just watching this from a distance and you know i joked and laughed at rudy's face melting on his press conference but you know when 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 i see the 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 self-styled militia men as vice described them who had the plan to to kidnap the governor of Michigan and they had a plan B and plan C if it didn't work out where 200 combatants would seize control of the Capitol. And then, you know, a part of the plan was to burn down the state house and, and or, you know, kidnap uh, targets and, and execute them live on TV. I'm not making this up. I'll put the link up. This was a real plot that luckily the FBI intercepted and prevented are we as American citizens too complacent about the way that the election results and this transition of power is playing out or the lack of transition of power, I should say? Do you think we'll look back in 10, 15 years and go, holy shit, what were we doing just sitting on the couch watching this and laughing at Rudy Giuliani? I'm honestly not sure hindsight is 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 2020. Um you know, it's interesting how wrapped up people got uh, in the election itself. You know, I was talking about basically reducing it to a sports team on both sides, you know, wearing the outfit and the colors mm -hmm. of uh, your, your tribe to the to the voting poll. And so um, I'm not sure if I'm going to give you an answer here, but 
Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of sides of it. You know, so Edward Norton says that, you know, it's a, it's a bluff, call it. Uh, he's got, you know, he's holding no cards, right? You got to just hold his feet to the fire. Um, and then you've got like the GOP still tweeting that, um, you know, they're going to win this election. And, you know, they're back in their president or whatever. Right. And so um, and uh, I get a lot of emails. Um, you know, I own firearms, Gerardo. And so, I, you know, I get I'm on distribution lists for for weapons sales websites and ammunition sales websites. And um, as they would. Uh, and as they've done in past elections, they are really, you know, using this to sell um, guns and ammo in the context of, um, well, I'll just come out and say it, you know, essentially, you know, it's a civil war type thing where you're going to you're going to back this president and you're going to you're going to, you know, take the election back in the name of, of Trump and, and Republicans. And there's a there's a faction, as you pointed to, the self-styled militiamen, right? Um, who are taking it further than others. And that's uh, scary in, in one respect. Um, uh, on the other side, I, you know, um, I mean, what do you do? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you grab an assault rifle and head across state lines? We've seen how that turns out in some cases. And um, I would also say that, you know, we haven't done nothing. I... Uh, I voted that's, that's doing something. And, um, I participated directly and indirectly in some public demonstrations over this past summer heading into the election and would do so again if it came to it. And so, uh, I think Americans are, are, are complacent as a bunch. And I think that they'll become less so as the things that are going on start to affect them more and more directly as it relates to their employment and their and their bottom line. And I probably didn't give you a great answer or a non-answer there, but um, we'll see. Let's talk about some of the positive things we can do. We have, you know, lines in Dallas, Texas and Houston, Texas, car lines that stretch for miles on end of people that have to use food banks as a, not even as an alternate, but sometimes a primary source of food um, due to the pandemic and the response and, and, you know, the state of the world right now. Um, again, it's Thanksgiving week. I hope everyone stays safe. I hope everyone has, you know, a wonderful time with loved ones. But for those of us that are able to contribute and, and just be good citizens and good humans, I encourage everybody to use, you know, Thanksgiving as an opportunity to donate to your local food bank. Um, you know, we, we sit here and, and we laugh at Rudy Giuliani and, you know, we opine on, on, on things we're not experts on and, and, you know, on other things where, 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 you know, we're pretty knowledgeable. Um, but, the common denominator for everybody, regardless, Republican, Libertarian, Democrat, white, black, rich, whatever. If you can give right now, give. If you can tip, you know, 40, 50% instead of the usual 20, 25, do so. People are hurting out there this Thanksgiving. And so just a reminder that as bizarro as the world is right now, there are some real positive things that that, that I think we can all do Um to help our neighbors, to help our community, to help our cities be uh, a, a more sustainable place and, and, and more bearable given how tough things are out there. Um, and, and maybe we'll put a link up or two, Nick, of, of organizations that uh, you and I have donated to in the past that, that could definitely use it right now, right? 
Good stuff, Gerard. I well said. I can't really make that any better, so I won't try. Do you want to talk about the Coke tax before we go? Sure. It's not a feel-good story, but the category <laughs> there is is feel-good, positive, slash informative. And it's more informative than, than anything. You know, uh, one of the themes or one of the ideas I've talked about a lot is that is this oligopoly thing, right? Where corporations through, uh, because they're people and because they can um, uh, afford to lobby on their behalf and, and stack um, state and, and federal uh, legislatures with um, people who are maybe not necessarily under their control, but that they um, uh, help fund their campaigns. And so they help uh, author the bills anyway. Um, I, I think that too, just like the end of the the, the sexual predation in, 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 in Boy Scouts and how it's being brought to the foreign Catholicism, I think this oligopoly corporatism uh, era comes to an end in, in this turning as well. And, and you see that more and more. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about uh, big tech was on Capitol Hill testifying, right? Um, and and this week it was Coca Cola who who lost a court battle. And, and let me see if I can find the article so I get the details exactly right. Um, but essentially, they you know how Coke works. They license their their brand to um, uh, Coke companies domiciled in other countries like Coke of Brazil and Coke of Ireland or whatever it is. Well, um, they were shuffling around profits this way. Uh, so they had to pay less U.S. tax on them, essentially, is the nutshell version of the story. And the IRS was like, well, no, we're not going to do this anymore. And so I went to court and Coca-Cola lost and ends up being on the hook for uh, the bulk of a $3.4 billion tax bill. And I just thought it was worth bringing up as an informative story because I think that this is only the beginning of that. And when we talk about states being broken and states like South Dakota legalizing uh, marijuana. I think this um, end of corporatism and um, end of beneficial taxation for corporations is is also going to come up as it relates to things like this, offshoring profits, and as it relates to uh, giving companies exorbitant tax breaks to to build facilities in states that never generate the the benefits that they're promised when they get the tax benefits initially, right? Like, um, and now just going off on a tangent, but like Foxconn told uh, Minnesota, I believe it was, that they were going to provide tens of thousands of tech jobs by building a facility there, and were given a bunch of tax breaks by the states, and ended up only making like a couple of hundred jobs, right? Like. Um, stuff like that. And so when I see stories like this Coca-Cola losing the the tax case, I think it's just worth uh, putting a pin in it and remember, remembering it because I think it's part of a much larger trend that's just starting. That's how turnings work out, right? That's it. I like it. Mr. Hodge, have yourself a great Thanksgiving. I want to wish everybody a, a, a great week, a safe week. Um, I hope everyone's surrounded by loved ones and people they like and love and care about. Um, and I hope everybody has a good time. You want to say bye to everybody, Nick? That's it. Have a good Thanksgiving. Enjoy it, everybody. This was episode 95 of Bizarro World. Stay safe, be kind. See ya.